0: I was born, reflects the poet, in a drought year. That summer, my mother waited in the house enclosed in the sun and the dry, ceaseless wind for the men to come back in the evenings bringing water from a distant spring. Veins of leaves ran dry, roots shrank, and all my life, dreaded the return of that year sure that it still is somewhere like a dead enemy's soul fear of dust in my mouth is always with me and I'm the faithful husband of the rain I love the water of wells and springs and the taste of roofs in the water of cisterns I am a dry whose thirst is praise of clouds and whose mind is something of a cup. My sweetness is to wake in the night after days of dry heat hearing the rain.
1: It's quite a journey from here to the world of the ancient prophet jeremiah there's a lot of distance between the world not just geographical but time that ancient world where prophets stood up and spoke words of the lord when we encounter these words today there's so much that we do not understand or misunderstand so much in those words that sound so very unfamiliar to our modern ears. The whole nature of the ancient prophet, there speaking these words, the genre of prophetic texts, its type of speech is foreign to us. We don't speak like this anymore. We don't preach or write like this anymore. This particular type of prophetic speech that we just heard read from the prophet jeremiah scholars have called a lawsuit text the type of writing is very familiar for those days but not for us the people of israel lived in a world of covenants mutual agreements between mutual uh, people who agree to mutual responsibilities and benefits israel is in a covenant with God. God, through Israel's ancestor Abraham, creates this covenant that the people then live into. Both parties in the covenant have a role to play. God's on the hook and Israel's on the hook. Will they keep the covenant? But the covenant, we're told, has been broken. Jeremiah argues that God has kept God's end. Of the covenant. But the people haven't lived up to their end. They have broken it and they are experiencing drought as a result. So what does God do? God sues the people. That's what's happening in this text. God asks familiar questions as God begins this lawsuit. Ones that we've perhaps asked ourselves or been asked when we've hurt or been hurt. What? What? Have we done wrong? Did I not love you enough? What else could I have done? Did I not bring you out of slavery, the Lord says? Did I not leave your, an- leave your ancestors through the wilderness, a land that was dry and filled with drought, yet From the rocks, I sprung up living water. Did I not provide for all your needs, leading you to a land of abundance, the envy of your neighboring nations? I've kept my deal of the covenant, my side, God says. But you have forsaken the covenant. You've traded me, this God who's given you all of this, for a God that is no God at all. You turn from abundance to that which is worthless. And God... Is appalled. Let the heavens also be appalled, God rings out in the courtroom. For God's people have committed two evils. And here are the charges. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that hold no water. Now, can you imagine today, walking down the center aisle this morning, a prophet? Who comes, commandeers the pulpit, and stands to declare, God is suing you. And here are the two reasons why. Now, I know y'all, that would not go well. This whole thing is unfamiliar to us, uncomfortable. I mean, what is a cistern anyway? It didn't rain much in ancient Israel. Average rainfall in that part of the world is less than half an inch per year now, and then, that meant it was imperative that they save every drop that graciously fell from the sky, like our poet this morning, savoring every raindrop, every stream from the rooftop was an opportunity for a cold bath, a drink, or the evening meal. At some point in human history, someone in that world invented a cistern, the first of our kind to ever do so. At first, they began just digging holes, trapping water. It works for a moment, but soon you learn how ineffective this is, the water quickly disappearing back into the dry soil. So they began covering those holes with stone, the preferred stone being limestone, and the cistern was invented. It was genius, an evolution for humanity, but it was imperfect. Cisterns eventually crack. And water searches for cracks, and it will find it. No matter how small it is, eventually, drop by drop, every drop will disappear. In this metaphor lies the divine accusation against the people. Imagine a clear, flowing, crystal clear, cold stream rushing by, always supplying fresh, abundant, living water, and we say, eh, no thanks. I'd rather risk drought. After all, I've got this broken, leaky cistern out back. It'll rain eventually. I'll catch some water. But the water runs out. It always Runs out, drought hits, we grow thirsty, we near death and forgets all along that living water is rushing right beside us so close we could smell it if we just stopped and took a breath. That's what the people are doing, God says. And how ridiculous. Who would do such a thing? This is so unfamiliar to us. And what about all this talk about idolatry after? I don't know about you, but it does seem kind of odd. Silly, really. Worshiping a golden statue, bowing down to cows and other animals, to carb poles. The false god that people are accused in this lawsuit of worshiping is Baal. Even the name kind of sounds silly. It's actually an ancient word for Lord, but it came to refer to a specific god—a god that they believed controlled the fertility of the land—and they would often turn to Baal when things were getting rough. It was believed that when Baal and his mistress Asherah made love, the land would be fertile. Kind of silly, huh? And so the people they would worship Baal, the god of fertility, in rather lewd ways. It could include orgies, prostitution, even at times they thought if they gave up the firstborn, their own son, that Baal would be pleased and make it rain. God's people did this. They tried to woo Baal and Asherah into fertility. If the gods were happy, there would be more rain for the cisterns, more plentiful crops, and all would be well. In other words, in hopes of having more food, more possessions, more money, they would give of themselves to be used and abused by the gods. They would sacrifice their time, their bodies, even their own children. If it took that for the sake of prosperity, they sought abundance in exchange for this for the promise of full storehouses and full bellies. They emptied their lives and the lives of their children. How ridiculous. Given up so much in hopes of a a strike of luck, in hopes of enticing these indifferent gods to bless us, this is unfamiliar. We would never do such a thing. This text, the whole thing is rather unfamiliar, but it is our word from the Lord today, So perhaps we should give it a hearing. Can you imagine a prophet walking in here today, standing before us to declare, God is suing you, and here's why. I mean, imagine what might be said. What case could God bring before us today? I haven't seen you bowing down to idols unless you're doing so in the privacy of your own homes. I mean, one of you does make a cow out of butter, but I don't think there's any worshiping going on. A few of you are fans of those chainsaw carved images that are all the rage these days, but you're not making sacrifices to them. Of course, we won't discuss the pigskin worship that happened yesterday. Ouch, sorry. I was in the backyard not worshiping. But do we sell ourselves for the sake of prosperity? Do we bow down to markets and employers, to politicians? and companies, to safety and guns, to low prices for low wages, to products and substances and pleasures, do we bow, believing, hoping that they may provide what we need, what we lack? Maybe this word from the Lord isn't that unfamiliar. Now, we do have an issue around here with clean Water. It's said that the runoff from our croplands are the single largest contributor to the 8,000 square mile dead zone and growing every day in the Gulf of Mexico. Our water is polluted and we pollute it and our pipes burst and our water mains break and we fix them and we clean our water and we purify it. Drink bottled water. We're not choosing, I don't think, to stick our face directly into the Des Moines River and drink deeply of unfiltered nitrate-flavored water. We aren't that ridiculous. And yet we have this insatiable thirst, don't we? For more and more we strip the land, pollute the water, dig and dig, burn and combust, buy and charge, and mortgage, searching for more, the latest, bads, trends, better, no matter the cost, bigger, bigger houses, bigger churches. The more we consume, it seems the less we have. The promise of more and better is nothing more than a leaky cistern that leaves us empty. We've consumed ourselves into drought. Maybe this word, From the Lord, as strange as it may seem, isn't that strange and unfamiliar? Now imagine if you would God walking in here today, standing before us to declare, I am suing you, and here's why. Two great evils you, my people, have done. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for yourselves. Cracked cisterns that can't hold water. Ouch. That hits close to home. It sounds harsh, but as we listen closer, we hear it in God's voice. Listen closer, look closer. Can you hear the crack in God's voice? Can you see the tears, love leaking out of the cracks? After the case has been made, the judge speaks to offer the verdict. But the judge's voice, listen closely, it's familiar. The prosecutor, the judge, both are God. That's when we realize this whole court, the whole case, is rigged against us. God makes a case, and then God determines the guilt and the punishment. How unfair. It's no surprise when the verdict's read, we're guilty. We've broken the covenant. Give us our punishment. But there is no sentencing, no punishment. Instead, God, the one who made the case of the broken covenant, stands up to renew the covenant. It was broken. Let's give it another go. And another and another and another. How unfair. Turns out. We're the cracked cisterns. God's the one who keeps on pouring that living water into us. Cracked. And imperfect as we are, we can't even hold water. Not yet. But God keeps pouring like a baptism of much needed rain after a long season of drought. God keeps imagining maybe this time they'll turn from those worthless Baals, those false gods that are not gods at all because they can never satisfy and come and drink deeply from the abundance living water. It makes no sense. It's unfamiliar, but this is our God, the one who gives life, not takes it away. The one whose mercy and grace bubbles forth from the dry ground like a spring that never runs out. The one who begs us to leave behind those false things that we keep stuffing our time, minds, and bodies with. And come and drink of the fresh Cold, clean, ever-flowing spring of God's living water that will satisfy every time and never run out. May we wake in the night after these days of dry heat to the springs of God's sweet, life-giving water. If that sounds familiar, I'll let God's people say, "Amen."